Wonderful to be together here today and as we look at the subject of soil samples and uh, it's quite fitting to do so, responding rightly to the Word of God and how we should do that in our hearts. It's a new series and we're now into the the month of May. Of course, we're well into the month and it is uh, Mother's Day, a great day for many and a difficult day for many. But um, I pray that you've treated... uh, your mother well today and that um, you gave her breakfast in bed and all of those good things and uh, mothers are an important part of our Christian world. I've always said it that an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy and uh, mothers have a great touch on the lives of of, uh, their children and their grandchildren. But it's the time of the year here in our country in America that the farmers eyes are on the fields and um, today probably a lot of farmers are unhappy because with this type of rain, um, it's difficult to get your vehicles, your tractors, and to get out in the fields without being stuck or getting stuck. The fields become muddy. But we are looking at a scripture that's found in Luke, the eighth chapter, where Jesus is telling the story through a parable of the sower in the seed. And let us uh, revisit, last week we launched into this with a little introduction. The scripture says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, The plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among the thorns which grew up and with it choked and the choked uh, with it and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred more than was sown. And when he said this, he called out, whoever has ear to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And Jesus said, The knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns Uh, stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the worries, the riches, the pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Why am I directing our attention to a parable at this time of the year and especially this one. I feel that you and I are living in a time, we're living in an age where the church is becoming increasingly unimportant to so many people in their daily lives. 
when the message of the church seems to increasingly fall on deaf ears. Jesus said, those who have ears, let them listen. And when the truth is mocked today, the truth is meaningless to so many, and to others it is unattainable. In other words, I could never be like that. I could never be like Christ. But Jesus speaks to us these words, and again he says, those of us who have ears, let's give careful attention and hear what he says. So Jesus tells a parable about a sower and his seed. It's a parable that holds a tremendous truth for you and I today, a tremendous truth for the world today. And I want to share this truth with you, that you and I may be encouraged, that we may grow in our faith, that our hearts may be good soil over these next few weeks and then forever on. But this week, I want to concentrate upon the sower in his seed. Now, as we take a look at the sower this morning and we look at this text, I believe that he is a very familiar character to the people of the day that this was spoken when you put it into context. Not a strange individual, but somebody everyone could relate with, to and with, as he is today. Maybe a different method, but we see the farmer sowing seeds, and some of you who have green thumbs, you know all about this subject. But as we look at this particular individual, he's the farmer who tills the soil, and he plants the seed and prepares it, hoping that there will be a harvest as time goes on. And so as we look at this person, we think to ourselves, this individual must be a credible individual because the individual represented in the parable is a truth giver, someone who is giving the truth. This individual must be very persistent regardless of what people are saying, regardless of what society and culture is doing, the individual stays on course, sowing the seed. And as well, this person, the farmer, the sower, is a dependable person. Jesus went about his father's business. He worked in extreme circumstances, but as we have heard this morning in testimony, we can always count on Jesus Christ. There are three other things that stand out as I look at this scripture, things that I hope that will speak to our hearts. The first is the mission of the sower. In verse number five, he went out to sow. Have you ever thought about the extent that God went to reach you? Think about it for a minute. You see, we talk about the parable of the lost sheep. Most of us know about that, where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after one. But what extent did God go to to reach your heart? Have you ever considered what it means that God went out and sowed the seed in your heart, in my heart? As I have prepared and studied, I think, and I have shared with you a little bit as I reflect back on my past, the extent that God went. We have to understand and we have to remind ourselves that Jesus 
who we're speaking about this morning did not come into existence in a stable in Bethlehem. He was from the beginning. The scripture says he was with God and he was God. And he left the splendors of heaven to walk as a man and sow the seed of truth in the hearts of individuals like you and I. So as we think back to that point, a greater appreciation, because the Apostle Paul said that he didn't think uh, that he was equal with God, a thing to be held onto, but giving it up, he came in the form of a servant for the joy set before him. He's with the Father, he leaves heaven, but with joy in his heart, he wants to touch your heart. He wants to touch my heart. He gave up a lot. So as we think about the extent, the mission of the sower, what a great mission. When I continue in this text, <clears throat> I think about the fact that I've been told through life, whatever you do, do it well. When you borrow something, bring it back in better condition than it was. If you are working for someone, do the job beyond expectations. But then when I look at this sower, it looks like sloppy work to me. That's my first impression. It appears to be quite sloppy because in verses 5 through 8 that he sows the seed even in places that he knows that it doesn't, it's not going to grow. This just isn't going to work. It's like, hey, let's get this job done. Just throwing this seed out. The seed flies from the sower's hand onto the plowed furrows of the field, but it also lands on packed dirt, like the floor that you are sitting on. It lands on the packed dirt, and it lands on rocky ground that will not allow a plow to disturb it. It makes us think of Missouri. And then also the seed lands among the weeds. To me, and at first appearance, this seems to be wasteful. Is the sower sloppy, or is there another reason that this story, this parable, is being told the way that it is? Could it be that the sower is so diligent, his search for good ground, that he will not risk missing a single spot even though much of his labor and toil is wasted on seed that will not survive. I believe that God has sown the seed broadly so as not to miss a single spot where the plant may grow. Still today, when I visit the friends of my youth, they can't believe that I'm doing what I've been doing for years, pastoring. Because you see, the soil... And my heart was not ideal for the position that I fill. But you know what? One of those seeds that was thrown on the hard ground or in the path happened to land in my life. And God knew that there was a possibility of fertile soil. So we see that this sower is one that appears to do things sloppy, but we also see that there's an expectation 
of what is in the sower's heart as it is with any farmer, any individual, you or I, that planted a plant this week? Do we wish that it would die the next day and that we would go out? No. We want to see it do beautiful things. There's expectations. And when we look at this text, it's interesting to see that, that three out of four seeds come to absolutely zilch. Nothing. Yet the sower continues to sow. His labor is hard and he labors over the soil even when most of the work appears to be in vain. It's not going to amount to much. Why? Because from the one seed, a harvest of a hundredfold is found. Hopefully that's you today. A hundredfold of that seed that's landed in your heart. Hopefully it's gone beyond a hundred. It depends on how long you've been walking in the Christian world and, and how long that seed has been taking root in your life. When the seed actually takes root and it produces the harvest, it's miraculous. From one seed, the text says, a hundred seeds can be planted, but only if it lands in good soil, one seed can produce. For the next couple minutes, I want to share a true story with you. I feel that this story is valuable. It was brought to my attention last Sunday afternoon. Matter of fact, Sharon Wilkins must have listened to my sermon because she was captivated by this story and forwarded it to me. It's a true story that many of you are going to identify with. It's a story that may involve people that you know or people that you know of. It's a Mother's Day story, and it's also a Sower's story, and it's a story of eternal perspective. And the story took place 100 years ago. It was um, printed in February, of 18, February 18 of 1986 by Gospel Publishing House. And what I'm going to share with you are excerpts from, excerpts from uh, this book called Angie, The Inspiring Story of a Girl Without a Country. It took place back in 1921. A missionary couple named David and Savia Flood went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa. At that time, the country that they went to was called the Belgian Congo. Now, we have members of this church that you met just a few weeks ago, the Yampanya family, and they are from the Republic of Congo. Strong Christian people that are now here at Evangel Temple and a wonderful, lovely family. So the couple of the floods who felt called to this mission field, they met another couple that they were to go with, a Scandinavian couple by the name of Ericsson's. And the four of them sought out for God's direction. In those days, you have to understand the tenderness, the devotion that it took the sacrifice of these couples. They felt the Lord was leading them to go out of the main mission station and take the gospel to a remote area. It was a huge step of faith, and they went to the village of Indolira. 
And there they were refused. At that village, the chief resisted. He would not let them enter the village because he felt that they would alienate and confuse the local gods of that village. The two couples opted to go a half a mile up the hill and they built mud huts and they lived in those huts. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was absolutely none. The only contact that they had with this remote village was a young boy who was allowed to come and sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. The chief allowed him to do that. And Sevia Flood was a tiny woman. She was four feet tall and eight, four feet eight inches tall. And she decided if this was the only African that God was going to allow her to talk to, that she would lead this young man to Jesus Christ. And she succeeded. She led him to Christ. But there was no other encouragement whatsoever that came from their time there. And meanwhile, malaria continued to strike one member after each member of their little band of four people. In time, the Ericsons decided that they'd had enough of suffering. And they left. They left and went back to the mission sta station. David and Sevia Flood remained in this little village to do the work by themselves. And then of all things, Sevia found herself pregnant in the middle of this primitive wilderness. And when the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened his heart a little and he sent a midwife to assist her. A little girl was born who was named Ana. Ana. The delivery, however, was exhausting for the mother. And she was already weak from the various bouts of malaria. And the birth process was a heavy blow to her strength. And she lasted only another 17 days. And she was a mother for 17 days. And inside David Flood's heart, something snapped in that moment. He dug a crude grave. He buried his 27-year-old wife. He took his children back down to the mountain to the mission station and giving his newborn daughter, Ana, to the Ericsons, he snarled, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife and I obviously can't take care of this baby and God has ruined my life. He left. And he headed for the port, rejecting not only his friends, but the call of God upon his life. Ana was given a new mother for a very short time. Within eight months, both of the Ericsons were stricken with this mysterious disease, and they died within days of each other. The baby, Ana, was then turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her uh, Swedish name and changed it to Angie. And eventually, they brought her back to the United States at three years old. In three years, she has three different mothers. The family in their new little girl that they love so much 
They were afraid if they returned to Africa that they would run into some legal problems and paperwork and they would lose their child. So they decided to stay in their home country and they switched from missionaries to pastoral ministry. And that's how Angie now grew up in South Dakota. And as a young woman, she entered and attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. There, she met the man of her life. And Angie married a man by the name of Dewey Hurst. Now, some of these names may be familiar to you, but uh, years passed. And the Hurst enjoyed a fruitful ministry, and Angie became a mother herself. She gave birth to her first daughter, then a son. And in time, her husband became president of a Christian college in the Seattle, Washington area. And Angie was so intrigued, she was so excited because she did not realize that that area had so much Scandinavian heritage. And she was happy about it. One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. Stay with me, folks. She had no idea who had sent it, and of course she couldn't read the words that were on there, but as she turned the pages, all of a sudden a photo stopped her cold, and there in a primitive setting was a grave with a white cross, and on the cross were the words, Savia Flood, could this be my biological mother, she thought. She jumped in her car, and as quickly as she could, she went straight to a college faculty member, and she knew that this man could translate the article. She said, what does it say? What does it say? And he, de he determined and summarized the story, and he said, it's about a missionary who, who, had, who had gone to the village of Indolira long ago. They gave birth to a white baby, and then there was a death of the mother. And there was a little African boy that was led to Christ by the mother. And after the whites people had left, the boy has grown up. And he finally persuaded the chief to allow him to build a school in the village. And the article said that gradually he's won students to Christ. And the children have won their parents to Christ. And the chief has become a Christian. And today, the article went on to say there are over 600 Christians in that village. All because of the sacrifice of David and Sevia Flood. Well, that's great news. It goes along with this parable. But the story doesn't end there because for the Hearst, Wesley Hearst and his wife Angie's 25th wedding anniversary, the college presented them with a gift of a vacation to Sweden. There Angie sought to find her real dad. She's determined to find David Flood. And she looked and she found that David Flood had remarried. He had fathered four more children and he generally destroyed his life with alcohol. And he had recently suffered a stroke, and he was still very bitter. And he was told 
the family was told the number one rule is, is that you never mention the name of God because God took everything from him. Well, Angie has an emotional reunion with her half-brothers and half-sisters. And the subject comes up and she says, can I talk to my dad? And they said, you can talk to him. He's very ill right now, but you need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Angie was not going to be stopped. She walks into this unpleasant apartment with liquor bottles everywhere and she approaches her dad and he's laying on this, this rumpled bed. And she, Papa, she says tentatively, Papa. And he turns and her dad begins to cry. Ana, he said, I never meant to give you away. It's all right, Papa, she says. She replies and she takes him gently into her arms and she said, God has taken care of me. He's given me three good mothers. And instantly he stiffens up. The tears stop. And he said, God forgot all of us. Our lives have been like this because of him. And then he turns his back on his daughter. And Angie strokes his face and she continues, Papa, I've got a story to tell you, and it's a true story. She said, you, you, you didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy that she won to the Lord has now shared that faith with the whole village, and they've come to know Christ. The one seed that you planted, Papa, just kept growing and growing, and today there, there's over 600 Africans People that are serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call on your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. And he's never hated you. The story goes on to say that her dad, he turned and he looked into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. And he began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, she writes that he had rededicated his life to Jesus Christ. And over the few days, the daughter and the father had a great relationship and a time together. But Angie and Dewey Hearst had to return back to the States. And as they returned back to America, it was just within a few weeks that David Flood died and he's gone to eternity. A few years later, the story goes on that the Hearst were attending a high level evangelism conference in London, England. There was a report being given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the National Church was giving this report of over 110,000 baptized believers, and he spoke eloquently how the gospel had, had spread through that nation. And today we reap some of that. We have a family in this church from that country that God has spoken to their heart. And Angie could not help but going up to this guy afterwards. And she said and asked him, have you ever heard of David and Savior Flood? Yes, madam. The man replied in French. She had a translator. He began to translate in English. This man said, it was Savior Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. 
I was a boy who brought food to your parents before you were even born. And in fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her with a long, sobbing hug. And then he continued, you must come to Africa to see because your mother is the most famous person in our history. Well, as time went on, that's exactly what Dewey Hearst and Angie Hearst did. They were welcomed by cheering villagers. She even met a man who had carried her down the mud hill and down the mountain in a hammock cradle. And the most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Angie to the mother's white cross for herself. And Angie knelt on the soil there and she prayed and she gave thanks. I think you just saw the photo of that. And later that day in a church service, she was recognized and the pastor in that service used a text from John the 12th chapter and verse number 24, which reads, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And then from Psalm 126.5, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. A true story that I share with you today validating the truth of Luke, the 8th chapter, the 15th verse. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance produce a crop. You and I are called to be sowers of the seed of the gospel. Quickly, let's look at that seed the seed is the word of God. It is the truth. Now, it's not a truth, but it's the truth spoken by the creator. It's the truth that's spoken by the sustainer of life. The seed is the truth. And we are disciples of that truth. And the, the word of God, the seed discloses as we read in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, for the word of God is alive. The word of God is active. The word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It, it penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The seed is life-changing. Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in the book. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. The seed, church, is powerful. Isaiah 55, 10, as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that it goes out from my mouth. I will not return or it will not return to me empty, some texts say void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The word of God is radiant. It lights our path. Psalm 119 tells us, your word is a lamp for my feet and is a light on my path. The word of God is unchanging, church, as we seed. Throw that seed out. Isaiah 48, the grass withered, the, the flowers fall, but the word of God is forever. 
Three questions in closing. What kind of soil have you been? What kind of soil is in your life right now? Is it a pathway? Is it rocky? Is it filled with thorns? Or is it good soil? Second question, what has become of the word of God in your life? Is it multiplying? Are you telling others about the goodness of God? Which brings a third question up. What harvest will you bring? Are there people in your lives today that are in church serving the Lord because of the great harvest that has come from your influence upon their lives? In 1975, there was a lady who took a scripture. Scripture courses were really important during that time from Lamentations 3 and um, verses 22 through 24. She attended the Church of the Redeemer in Houston, Texas, which was an Episcopal church, but the charismatic movement was flowing through that place. It was an inner city church, but God was moving by his spirit, and God laid upon her life a great course from the scripture, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases never ceases. It's new every morning, and that is the hope that you and I have and the trust that we have this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Mothers, grandmothers, men, all of us this morning have that assurance that God's love never ceases. What a story of God's love poured out upon history and it continues today. Let's stand together and sing this.